everybody, and welcome to episode number 29 of Glass City Game Time. Still one of America's great sports podcasts, brought to you, as always, by The Blade. My name is Corey Christen, and thanks again for listening and for joining us and for sticking with us. We always appreciate it. This week, we are talking NFL Draft and kind of a wrap-up and the week post-mortem from the NFL Draft. We're talking Detroit Lions. We're talking Cleveland Browns. We're talking winners and losers this week. And joining me to do so via the phone line is Blade Sports columnist David Briggs. Hello, Briggsy. What's going on, Corey? Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Where are you calling from? What's going on at the Briggs compound? I actually just stepped outside, so I should probably get in out of the wind. But uh, no, just uh, just hanging out, working on uh, working on a column for Friday, and uh, yeah, just kind of kind of twiddling our thumbs here in this uh, in this upside down world without sports. Have you gotten bored yet? Have you found things to do? Oh yeah, you know, I mean, pretty much watched <laughs> everything on Netflix. Again, going through the classic game. You know, the draft was uh, you know mana from the hashtag content gas. How about the last dance? But yeah, no, the last dance has been great too. That's uh, another, uh, yeah, no, that was a good decision to move it up. It certainly, uh, kind of felt like the first kind of shared cultural experience, at least in a, a sports sense, since the, you know, since the sports world went dark. And then obviously we got that with the draft a little bit. But, but uh, yeah, definitely strange times. How about you? Yeah, it felt like a reunification. Personally, I've loved every second of the last dance. I mean, oh yeah, I've I grew up like watching the Lakers when Phil Jackson got there. So I only knew growing up Phil Jackson as the Lakers coach. I was born in '92, so that's when you know Jordan was wrecking havoc all over the league. And then honestly, like just from playing video games and watching basketball in the 2000s, it was like. Jordan's last days as a bull when I was really little, and then it was him as a wizard. So, and Pippen was a, uh, what was he, a rocket and then a blazer. So, I remember the old, like, Western Conference Finals, the Lakers and the Blazers with that series, and Pippen was a blazer. And I remember, like, playing old video games and Jordan was a wizard. So, like, I knew that they (laughs) got there at the end of their careers, but I didn't know how it happened. So, this is, like... For me, filling a hole, I think, within my basketball and my NBA knowledge. So I'm sure. certainly no. So I'm certainly appreciating yeah. it from that angle. Yeah, for sure. No, it's just a fun trip down memory lane. I mean, he's kind of the superstar of of my generation, just growing up. And I still, you know, would kind of try to go to, you know, when the Bulls came to town each year, including when I before I moved to Cleveland, before my dad got a job in Cleveland when I was in middle school, um, lived in Connecticut outside of. Uh, and we used to go to Knicks games every year. And in 1995, of all years, when the Knicks tickets went on sale at the beginning of the year, obviously a very hot ticket at that time in the mid-90s, my dad would go to the ticket booth like the morning they went on sale. And usually, you know, he wouldn't get his, you know, one of the top ten choices. But when Jordan was uh, when Jordan was away in 95 or 94, 95 playing baseball, well, I guess 93 through 95, he caught the Bulls. Um in, I think it was April or late March or early April of 1995. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's still a decent game. Still, you know, Bulls were one of the top teams in the East, but not a marquee game without Jordan. And lo and behold, that was one of our, you know, our two or three games. And then Jordan comes back 
and then he plays at the Garden, and all of a sudden, you know, it's the hottest ticket in sports, and he goes off for 55 that night in one of his iconic games. So it's still one of my favorite memories, you know, seeing Jordan at Madison Square Garden, you know, dropping 55 on the Knicks, and, and I'm sure he still considers that, you know, one of his, his greatest accomplishments. But, no, it's just really cool just kind of going back down memory lane and, and kind of seeing – you know, it is just so so different from LeBron. I mean, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. I, I mean, I still argue that LeBron is the is the better overall player. You know, more efficient scorer, better passer, better rebounder. But hey, that's neither here nor there. It's time to celebrate Jordan. But no, it's fun. It's fun. He uh, certainly different from LeBron in the sense that we're and we're beginning to get a glimpse into that. Just that assassin, singular focus, just wanting to rip your heart out. And it's uh, I think we're going to kind of see Jordan portrayed in a little bit harsher light in these upcoming. Uh, upcoming um episodes here but you know we're getting a glimpse and just kind of the kind of the basketball killer that jordan was i don't know if he hates jerry Krause or hated jerry Krause more than he hated isaiah thomas or if it was equal for me these last two episodes with with rodman coming to uh, chicago and then you know the bulls kind of getting over the hump of the pistons i mean i i can't believe the animosity that Jordan still to this day seemingly has for Isaiah Thomas. And that that whole, those two episodes as a whole were excellent. Just the whole, here's how they got there, here's what the Pistons were doing, and here's how the Bulls got over. So for me, the, the last two were excellent. The first two were excellent. It's been great so far. So you got the Dream Team coming up this week, so I'm definitely looking forward to that too. Um, the Briggs. As far as the uh, NFL draft is concerned, it's in the books, the 2020 edition, and we're going to talk about the Browns and the Lions and then some winners and losers here. And I want to start with the Detroit Lions because I feel like there's more to be said about the Browns draft than there is the Lions draft personally, but that's not to say the Lions didn't do well. Um, With pick number three, they go take Jeff Okuda from Ohio State. They address a big need in defensive back. They, you know, they, they part with Darius Slay in the offseason. They bring in Trufant, who's, you know, aging veteran. But they really needed just a dynamite playmaker in that defense backfield. And at pick three, they picked perhaps the best one in the draft. Yeah, no, Kuda was certainly the, you know, the safe and, and smart pick in a lot of ways. You know, watching him at Ohio State the last couple of years, probably the best college cornerback I've seen in years. Um, just a shutdown cornerback. And that's it's so important in the in the NFL. You know, the top positions probably you know quarterback, then an edge rusher, but not too far behind. Just having that shutdown corner that you can put on you know a, a top rival receiver and, and just uh, you know go on an island there kind of opens up a lot of things for the defense. So it's a it's a very smart pick. Um, I guess diminished a little bit by the fact that you know it fills a need of the Lions' own creation by. Uh, by trading Darius Slay, who is a former pro bowler, very good player. Um, so I, I don't know how much you're necessarily upgrading the team, but good pick. Um, you know, usually the Lions are, uh, kind of have head-scratching drafts, and I guess to their credit, this was, uh, this was not one of them. No, and they go out at pick 35 then in the second round, and they grab DeAndre Swift out of Georgia, who a lot of people – are putting in this running back draft class as either the best or the second best. He's really up there in that top two or three. So what, at the time the pick was made, it was kind of a head scratcher to me because I think of carry on Johnson. I think of the run game with Bo Scarborough when he stepped in, 
and I thought about, well, those two running backs were fine. I know Johnson got hurt and Scarborough had to step in, but I felt like the offensive line could have been argued as a bigger need, and we'll get to what they did for that here shortly. But Swift certainly still stands out as a playmaker. I'm not knocking him as the player, but just for the need and for the pick, it was a head-scratcher at first, but they still end up getting a really good running back. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, you can argue that wasn't necessarily filling a huge need. But Kerryon Johnson, you know, he's missed, you know, basically one of the last two seasons, 14 games in his first two seasons. So, I mean, it's kind of becoming a hard guy to, to really depend on as that feature back. And, and when you're able to get the top-rated guy at a, at a position in the second round, I'm not sure that they were necessarily planning on going that direction. But when DeAndre Swift was available there at 35, um, you know, I don't have a problem with uh, with pulling the trigger there. And, you know, I, you, you know, you also could argue for for J.K. Dobbins or a couple other guys, but you know, DeAndre Swift is certainly, uh, you know, he can be a, a game-changing type back, and and uh, I don't have an argument with him being rated the uh, the top running back there. So, uh, you know, I, another kind of sound, relatively safe pick for the Lions. And then going forward from rounds three through seven, they had seven draft picks to use. Well, they used five of those final seven picks to take linemen on either side of the ball. They begin in the third round with Julian Aquara of Notre Dame, and then in the third round of the back end, they take Jonah Jackson uh, out of Ohio State. And Aquara, some people thought that he was more of a second round, or if he stayed healthy, maybe a first-round talent. When you look at Jonah Jackson, they get a really good value pick at 75 to help up out that line. And then on day three to start off, they get Logan Stenberg, the guard out of Kentucky, to boost that offensive line. Sure. No, I mean, all yeah, I mean, all seemed like very, very reasonable picks. You know, the process behind them was uh, was very sound. You know, it, it's kind of one of the, the dumbest yet most fun exercises each year to, to grade these drafts. And it's like I haven't watched any tape on these guys, I and mean, I just watch it as a casual fan and, and read it, and then you see how these um, – I'm just like every other writer out there, and then you see them giving these detailed grades of drafts by guys who have spent, you know, every waking hour of the last year doing this. So it's always fun to uh, to do this. But, yeah, no, I mean, they, all three of those guys address needs. You know, it, it shores up the offensive line, which, uh, it, you know, was certainly a need. And then, you know, uh, Julian Okora gives you a nice, you know, a guy who coming into the year was regarded as a first-round pick and, a, you know, a big-time edge rushing talent. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, – I, I, I like all of, the, all of the three you mentioned there. And especially with Julian Okora, pairs him with his brother, Romeo. So, speaking mm-hmm. of all name teams last week, we now have Romeo and Julian on the, uh, on the edge there in Detroit. So, the Lions pick up – a few positions of need. They pick up a really good offensive skilled player, DeAndre Swift. They take a wide receiver late in the fifth round at Quintez Cephas out of Wisconsin, who some people are iffy on. This is a really wide receiver, deep draft class. So Detroit does their due diligence and takes one later on. They take more running back depth than Jason Huntley, John Penasini, and Jay Sean Cordell, the defensive lineman. A lot of people like that pick, uh, Penasini, out of Utah in the sixth round. I read your column from beginning of the week here to kind of prepare for all of this and you're like one of the first talking points you hit was that you enjoyed the Lions and the Browns draft and thought they both did very well yeah no absolutely I think both are 
very clear B pluses, no wiggle room there, not a B, not an A minus, very clearly B pluses for both. But um, no, very, very solid drafts for both, I thought. And again, that's just, you know, the, the reason and the, and the logic and the, and the process behind them was sound. It wasn't anything ridiculous. I, I think I wrote, you know, it would have been nice in these uncertain times for the, for the Browns or Lions to give us, you know, a sense of normalcy, whether that's, you know, going for the, the sexiest pick or Johnny Manziel or, or doing some insane trade down or, or, uh, or the Lions trading their, I, I don't know. It, it would have been nice to, uh, you know, have that, that comfort of the Lions and Browns kind of kind of be in the gestures of the draft. But unfortunately, you know, these are very, very, uh, very strange times. So what we get is smart, sound drafts by both the Browns and the Lions. How about that? I think Browns and Lions fans will take it. I think they'll take whatever they can grab as far as positivity is concerned. And certainly the Lions organization, who's battled through quite a bit in the last few years. Um, you know, you look at Matthew Stafford's health. We'll see what the Lions end up being this year. And you certainly have to think with the draft that they'll be an improved football team. But one team that a lot of people seem to think that the that really just hit a home run in this draft is the Cleveland Browns. And sure. Andrew Barry coming in, Kevin Stefanski coming in. A lot of people saw the Browns as a few pieces away on paper at least, and then it's boiled down to Kevin Stefanski and what he can do as a head coach. But what I thought the Browns did with their draft this year was they didn't go sexy with the picks. Really, they drafted out of need, out of what they felt the missing pieces were to build that winning football team. And then later on, really in the fifth and sixth rounds, you get Nick Harris in Washington who could easily back up a guard. He could play center. And you get Donovan Peoples-Jones out of Michigan, who a lot of people say is a freak athlete in the event, in, in the combine event shows that, but really didn't have a lot of opportunity at Michigan. But going forward, the Browns' first round, they get Jedrick Wills. They fill the left tackle need. They get Grant Delpit out of LSU, who could fly around the defense. Jordan Elliott, defensive line. A lot of people say that was a good value pick. And then sure. what? Harrison Bryant out of Florida Atlantic won the Mackey Award, nation's top college receiver at tight end. I mean, they we know Kevin Stefanski likes his two tight ends. We saw that with Minnesota. They bring in Austin Hooper. They got David Njoku and now Bryant. I mean, a lot of people think the Browns really hit a, a home run here with a lot of needs filled and a lot of skilled players to plug at those different positions. Sure, absolutely. No, I completely agree. And um, it's uh... – yeah, I mean, starting in the first round with, with Wills, you know, I, there were four or five tackles that were kind of interchangeable in, in a lot of people's minds at the top of that draft, just a loaded class for left tackles. But, you know, the Browns had a very glaring question mark and need on their team, and that was the offensive line. And to their credit, you know, they, uh, again, like the Lions, they played it smart there. I think the, the huge, you know, the, Lions, the Browns last year were just, so much flash and glitz and and style that they didn't really think to, you know, they thought they could get away with a little bit flimsier substance on the offensive line. The thinking was kind of, you know, you know, we have so many playmakers in the backfield and uh, at receiver and our franchise quarterback that if our line is just average, we'll be fine. Well, the problem was the line wasn't even close to average. It was a complete disaster. And, you know, one of many problems with the Browns last year, but that was certainly the biggest issue. And I think when you get a guy like Wills, who did play right tackle at, at, um, 
at at Alabama, so that is a little bit of a question mark. But he only played right tackle because you know Tua was a left-hander, so that would be his blind side. I think most people expect him to be able to to kind of flow over to the left side fairly seamlessly. If uh, you know if if the projections are correct, he certainly seems like an unbelievable athlete and uh, and a future Pro Bowler. Um, but yeah, I think what that pick says is you know the Browns are all in on Baker, obviously, and there are no more excuses for him. I mean, now you have you have two of the highest, two of the 11 highest paid receivers in, uh, you know, Landry and, and OBJ. You have two Pro Bowl caliber guys in the backfield with Kareem Hunt and um, uh, Nick Chubb. And he just, uh, he just made Hooper the highest paid tight end in the NFL free agency. Uh, he also invested in Jack Conklin on the offensive line, 40 plus million dollars. So in theory, you have a, uh, you've gone from a pretty bad offensive line to an above average line, and you have all these playmakers. No more excuses for Baker. If he's the guy, we'll know it now. And that's just starting in the first round. But, but as you said, certainly a lot of depth in the draft as well. Yeah, you mentioned that offensive line. Along with Wills, I, I think Nick Harris adding depth to the interior line. They lose Austin Corbett sure. to the Rams last season. That's a pick that, like I said, a lot of people seem to believe he can play guard or center. He's played both in college. So a lot of people feel really good about this Browns draft. I just think that getting Harrison Bryant in the fourth round is going to be a pick that we look back on and say, how did the Browns get that? And I could be wrong. We could be listening sure. to this podcast, you know, in 2022 and looking back and seeing, well, how did how'd they do? How did they think about the Browns? But <laughs> I could be wrong. Uh, that's the beauty sure. of the draft is we get to be open critics and everybody can be wrong about this kind of thing. But sure. the one thing I will say is maybe a slight concern, but not really. It just depends on how you look at it. You know, the one knock on the Browns is kind of the last few years has kind of been, you know, the mission. How they how they've been able to mesh kind of the traditional old school scouting mm-hmm. with the analytics and you know so Andrew Barry the new GM is certainly a, a product of that analytics movement and the one thing that was interesting I wouldn't say negative in any way but you know they were the only, they had three of the top 25 players um, from Pro Football Focus with their top three picks you know with with uh, with Elliott and um, Grand Delpit, and uh, of course the tackle up in the first round. So you wonder, are they just going off the uh, straight off the pro football focus analytics, or are they uh, or are they using their scouting eye? I mean, I say this kind of kind of tongue in cheek. Um, obviously, you know, the, all these guys look like very good picks, but you certainly hope uh, you certainly hope we're not going down the same road if you're a Browns fan. Yeah, and look, there's a place for analytics, I think, in football. Sure. I don't. I don't know if you can heavily rely on them because there is such thing as game tape, um, <laughs> and there is such thing as performance. I mean, I mean, it should be right. a no-brainer theoretically. But when you look at, you know, Jordan Elliott comes from Missouri. It's not exactly Alabama or Clemson. He is really the the, the gold standard on that team that comes out and. He shines every week. You know, it's okay. You're right. game planning for Missouri. You look for Jordan Elliott. So, I mean, if you're picking players like that, I get it. Or, like, again, I'll beat the horse here, Harrison Bryant. You're playing Florida sure. Atlantic. You're not expecting Florida Atlantic to do anything crazy, but you're going to expect him to throw the ball to Harrison Bryant. That was kind of one of the annoying things about, you know, when it when it first came out that, you know, that the NFL is planning to plow ahead and, and still have the draft as scheduled. You know, you had that 
all those anonymous, all that anonymous grumbling from league executives and general managers saying this isn't right and, you know, we won't be able to do our job correctly and we won't be able to, you know, have these individual workouts. It's like, come on, you've had three, you've had three plus seasons of production with these guys, game tape, and you've had, you know, three months and the combine, blah, 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 blah. Like, come on, like at some point, like, let's just not overthink this. I guarantee you some teams had a better draft by not having an extra six weeks to completely overthink this. So who knows? But I, I'm totally with you, you know, with production, game tape, everything. Well, I think there's something to be said, too, about the first four picks the Browns made were all SEC players. Sure. You go Alabama, LSU, Mizzou, LSU, and then the final three, two of them are power five, Washington and Michigan and then Florida Atlantic, but that Florida Atlantic player won the award for the top player in his position. So it's not like, again, you mentioned the sexy pick, and I think that's kind of the theme that the Browns did in recent years. I feel like, and you could disagree with me on this, I feel like for the first time in at least four or five years, maybe even going back further, the Browns drafted with a defined purpose. They didn't draft with just the mind that, okay, we're going to get this player, we're going to get that player, we're going to get that position. It was more of an antiquated approach towards what they need, towards what they have available realistically to them, and who's available in the draft. You know, Jordan Elliott, if he's getting top 25 comps from the analytics people, that may mean that there's a deep defensive line draft. And you saw in the first round that realistically two or three players went – outside of the top 10 that could have went in the top 10. So, I mean, I think it has to do a lot with this was a loaded draft, first of all, in a bunch of different positions. I mean, Dedrick Wills could have been the the top tackle taken, as you said. So, again, I I will for once sit here and say every pick the Browns made felt like it meant something rather than just going out to fill or take the name or do whatever. I mean, even down to Donovan Peoples-Jones, who – a lot of Michigan fans will think, wow, how did he slip that far? And I'm sure the Browns thought the same thing because of the athleticism, because of the combine results. And lo and behold, at pick 187, there he is for the Browns. No, absolutely. No, DPJ is a, a very interesting case. And, you know, it's um, – I don't know if you – know, Urban Meyer before the draft um, kind of said, you know, I thought he would be a, a top 10, top 15 kind of talent. And um, – maybe it's a little bit of twisting the knife in Michigan there, but he <laughs> has that. I mean, he was, the, you know, one of the number one receiving recruit in the country coming out of high school up there in, uh, in Detroit. And just at the combine, you know, had the number one spark score, which is, you know, kind of measures, you know, you're just your, your quick pitch, your quick twitch, your explosiveness. So just an absolute freak athlete. Um, and I think it is fair to wonder, you know, if he had gone somewhere with a more developed passing game and, and maybe a more modernized offense than Michigan, I think there's a great chance he, you know, he would have been a, a first or probably no lower than a second round pick. So that's not a great advertisement for where Michigan's <laughs> offense is right now. And, and uh, I know we're talking about DPJ, but going off on a, a tangent here, but, and and then you see, you know, maybe he didn't have the, the greatest quarterback play. I mean, we have, we'd kind of spent the last couple of years, especially a couple of years ago, hyping up the arrival of Shea Patterson, you know, Toledo native and, you know, certainly everybody wanted them to do well for, for that reason and just to, you know, kind of add the spice to the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. But but then you see, you know, he's he's not even selected, a, not even picked up as an undrafted free agent. So, man, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that really tells you, um, I guess, what, what teams kind of thought of 
the guy who was passing to Donovan Peoples Jones. Although I guess that didn't didn't help Peoples Jones uh, with the uh, with where he was picked. But no, you're right. It's absolutely uh, could be a huge steal and. Absolutely. I mean, he has all the potential in the world. It's just a matter of how you utilize him. So a lot of people are high on the Browns right now after the draft and after the offseason they had. And you said it earlier, and I completely agree with you. It's There's no excuses for Baker Mayfield anymore. This is time to put up or shut up. So we'll see what happens going into training camp. We're hoping there is a 2020 training camp in a season. Right. But we'll, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, I suppose. Everybody's doing it, so I think we can do it too, and that's – kind of look at some winners and losers here. I'm not a big, personally speaking, I'm not a big grades guy because every team yeah. does does things for a reason. But I think we can still take ways to analyze some teams. I have in my mind a few teams that I thought did excellent and a few teams that I thought did not do excellent. Do you have a team or a couple teams in mind that you thought could be considered winners of this draft? Winners? Um, yeah. yeah, I haven't thought about it too much outside of the Alliance and the Browns in, in terms of talking about the depth of the entire draft. I still say my big loser is just, just for the obvious reasons, the Packers, just, just in terms of, it's just so puzzling what they're doing when you have a, you know, you have a generational franchise star in Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, as he said before the draft on, uh, you know, on a, I think it was the Pat McAfee show, he said, well, you know, we haven't picked a skill player in 15 years, it would be nice if we did that this year. And, of course, they did pick a skill player. It's not exactly the kind he had in mind. You know, they picked they picked mm-hmm. uh, his hair parent, guy Jordan Love, a developmental developmental kind of project-type passer who's extremely talented but, you know, led the country in interceptions last year. And it just makes you wonder what exactly are the Packers doing. You know, you have very deep. And then in the second round, they don't use that don't use a receiver there either. So it's, it's just kind of, it's just amazing to me. And it's kind of, it's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of the Cavs final season when you have LeBron and you're not doing everything you can to maximize this window in time. It's almost just like they're, I don't know, the pride is, you know, you go from Favre to Rogers and you think you can just take anybody and, and they'll, uh, and they'll be another generational star, but I just think you have to maximize that moment in time and, you know, put everything you can around him and to not draft a single receiver in the first round with a guy like Aaron Rodgers just kind of blows my mind when you're I just don't know what you're doing there how about anywhere they didn't take a receiver at all right yeah no absolutely and and, and on top of that not only that but I mean you're just needlessly alienating your star and he doesn't strike me as the as the greatest guy to be around anyway and but, I mean, it just doesn't seem like a great situation. I mean, do we really believe that Aaron Rodgers, like this prickly personality, is going to want to be grooming his, his successor? That doesn't strike me as, uh, as something in his personality. So, while I'm not a fan of, you know, Aaron Rodgers, the, the person necessarily, certainly a huge fan of his game, and it's just puzzling. I think that the Packers absolutely blew it. Full disclosure, I think they absolutely laid an egg here. They were totally out to lunch with the whole process. I understand the process behind drafting Jordan Love. I understand the thought behind it. I understand that the quarterback position is the most important position in sports. And if they felt so strongly about Jordan Love that they had to trade up to get him in the first round when this was a team that was one game away from reaching the Super Bowl and was a few pieces away on that offense from reaching the Super Bowl, 
and they go take this quarterback. And then they chase it with taking a running back, where Aaron Jones was an absolute monster last year. Right. So it what they did in the draft did not make sense to me. And maybe if they took a wide receiver in the third round or the second round or the fourth round, I'd have, I'd have looked back and said, okay, it's a deep draft class. I get it. They got their right. quarterback, and then they got the receiver. But they didn't even address that. No, what's even more puzzling is, you know, the kind of the, the secret to success in the modern NFL, at least at least one, you know, tried and true blueprint recently is to have that franchise quarterback on their rookie contract so you can kind of build a, a great team around them and, uh, you know, not have all of your salary cap space locked up in a, in a quarterback. So you're with Aaron Rodgers, so you're, you're investing this first-round pick in a guy that if things go well – play for three or four years you know the Packers said if Aaron Rodgers is great for the next four years and that's great for us but it's like yes that's true but why are you not putting pieces around them it just doesn't it would make complete sense if you know they thought they'd need a quarterback next year and Jordan Love wasn't so much of a project but uh, yeah it's just it's just the way the way kind of teams are structured now and unless they know something about Jordan Love that, that none of us have seen. It's just hard to it's hard to kind of have any rhyme or reason behind that or see any. I saw a stat on ESPN's Twitter account that Aaron Rodgers has thrown one touchdown pass in his whole career to a first round pick. And that was and that was Mercedes Lewis, the tight end who was okay. drafted in like who was drafted in like, I don't know, nineteen eighty three. So I That's don't insane. understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't understand the whole process behind yeah. what they did. You know, I hate players whining about, "Hey, give me some help, give me some help." But like in Aaron Rodgers' case, I mean, he has every right to be serious. I'll tolerate zero Aaron Rodgers slander this year at all. Zero. <laughs> I will. If I see people say he's overrated, I will just bring this draft class up and show screenshot and say here, yeah. that's what they gave him to work with, with these rookies. So um, we can overrated. sit here. Yeah, okay. I'll hang up the phone right now. Um, <laughs> I think there's one team, there's really two teams that I think were the clear runaway winners in this draft. There's really three, but I don't want to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Um <laughs> There's two that I think really stuck out to me. Number one, the Baltimore Ravens. And sure. getting Patrick Queen in the first round, That's basically. they took all your favorite Buckeyes. Well, not my favorite Buckeyes, but they took <laughs> everybody's favorite Buckeyes, it seems like. I mean, Patrick Queen out of LSU, they drafted three linebackers in the first round. Ray Lewis and C.J. Mosley, Patrick Queen. So I think they have a good track right. record there. Needless to say, except I'll say it. And then... J.K. Dobbins at 55. I mean, I listened to Adam Shine on Mad Dog Radio today, and he interviewed uh, Baltimore's GM. And basically he said, I don't know why Dobbins was there. You know, you're there at 55. That's a first-round graded talent. It was a no-brainer to take him, even if they have Mark Ingram, and even if Lamar Jackson runs the football. You get that running back in J.K. Dobbins who can learn, first of all, learn from Mark Ingram. Second of all, be implemented into that offense immediately and have an impact immediately. I mean, that's a slam dunk for them. And then they come out later on and they grab Devin Duvernay out of Texas, Malik Harrison from OSU, Bredesen for depth for offensive line from Michigan. And then a lot of people thought James Prochet in the sixth round was like a giant steal at 201. So I think the Ravens absolutely killed it. They added to already what was the best team, at least I think, in the AFC North. 
And look, if, if Lamar Jackson's coming off an MVP season and some people think the Ravens could beat the Chiefs and contest the Chiefs in the AFC, then that's a draft that they are going to settle on, and it works out. The other team that I think absolutely killed it, I don't think one player will benefit from this NFL draft. Again, in two years, listen to this and tell me I'm wrong. I don't think one player will benefit from this draft more than Drew Locke does, and that's Denver. Jerry Judy at 15, wide receiver out of Alabama. K.J. Hamler, wide receiver out of Penn State at 46. And then they go draft a starting caliber center in Lloyd Cushenberry in the third round. They get Tyree Cleveland, another receiver, way late. They get some other ancillary pieces. I mean, you look at the offense that Denver's built around Drew Locke now. You have Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler at receiver. Noah Fant at tight end. Melvin Gordon, they bring in for running back. I mean, that Denver offense is now set up. And Drew Locke, I mean, they put their investment in him last year, so they're just adding more to it. Hey, Green Bay, that is how you help your quarterback right, right there. Follow, Do what Denver did. Just follow them. K.J. Hamler, I mean, he's a guy you can get. I mean, you don't even need him in the first round, and he's just he's an absolutely incredible talent. I mean, I love him. So, yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, it's just when you look at the depth of the receiving class, and, again, going back to Green Bay, and talking about, you know, Judy and Hamler. I mean, he's got to be looking at that and just thinking, man. We've talked about the AFC North, basically, with Cleveland and Baltimore. What do you think of what Pittsburgh and Cincinnati did? Cincinnati will be interesting with Burrow. I don't know mm-hmm. if uh, that kind of feels like a situation, like the like the Browns of much of the past two decades. Maybe it'll be hard to truly have a gauge of, of whether, uh, you know, he's just going to kind of be crushed by the – the ineptitude in Cincinnati, he's really going to have a fair shot. That's, such a, that's just such a, a bad roster right now. Um, and, and Pittsburgh, you know, seemed like a very good draft. But in the end, it's all going to come down to, you know, Big Ben's health and, and uh, whether they can kind of have a, a kind of a last hurrah with this, uh, with this current crop here. Yeah, I, the Steelers are enigmatic to me. I, I don't agree with – I think Claypool and Highsmith, their first two picks, are good players, but I don't think it's what right. they needed, given that, I just first of all – I mean, is Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, who they traded their first-round pick for? I mean, is he better than mm-hmm. – uh, I guess I don't know who the uh, who the Dolphins ended up picking. They took a D lineman. It, it's marginal. They took a D lineman. It doesn't matter. Right, or who the Steelers would have picked. But, so, yeah. I mean, I think – yeah, I don't know. I, I do. I, I mean, I tend to think the Browns have solidified themselves enough to where they will be the top challenger to to Baltimore next year. But the Steelers, I mean, they still have a very solid core, an elite defense without a question. And I think Absolutely. they may. I mean, and if Roethlisberger's healthy and and with you know Schuster Smith, then you've got they have enough talent on offense to to still be there. I think they made my favorite pick in the draft and Kevin Dotson, the guard out of Louisiana. I've seen video oh, right, on Twitter yeah. of him like pulling trucks and doing all kinds of crazy crap with I know, I know. <laughs> strength training. It's And uh, Pro Football Focus had him as the top-ranked run guard in the league so or in the draft. So, I mean, they, they got a really good pick there for But the rest kind of confuses me. Anthony McFarland, I read um, from our friends down at the Post-Gazette, Jerry Dulick, he wrote, basically, if the Steelers don't take a running back with their first pick, don't take one at all. Well, they didn't listen to him. So we'll see how Anthony McFarland Jr. out of Maryland, who, for my money, was the fourth best running back in the Big Ten, and that's counting uh, both J.K. Dobbins and Master Teague in that mix. Right. So sure. 
So I don't know. We'll see, I guess, what the Steelers do. I just don't like that they didn't address the backup quarterback because we don't know how Roethlisberger is going to perform this year. I mean, he's 38 coming off a shoulder surgery. So I don't know. We'll see what Pittsburgh does. But I agree. I think I think Cleveland is the number one contender now for the AFC North to Baltimore, who only got better as well. So it's always fun to criticize NFL front office executives who do this for a living when we could sit here behind a microphone and just have fun with it. Oh, absolutely. And with the Browns, at least, you know, you have a good chance of being right, but maybe this is the year. We're hoping we thought we we all thought we were right last year. So I, yeah, I, that did not work. (laughs) No, didn't work. To be fair though, they have good players now. I mean, like Mac Wilson's a starting caliber linebacker. So it's not like they, they went to the draft last year and laid total eggs. I mean, they got some good talent, but uh, the coaching obviously did not work out for them. So maybe time, maybe this time around coaching will work. We can all be optimistic sure. right now. It's still April, so we can still be optimistic about <laughs> just about every cool. team here. Briggs, any uh, final thoughts or anything on your mind before we get you out of here this week? No, no. I just thought I thought it was a fun draft. I mean, it's kind of a – I know they won't continue to uh, go to this model. You know, we'll get we'll get the kind of the glitz and the glamour and the the huge NFL, you know, trillion dollar production in Cleveland next year, um, next April when the uh, if there are uh, mass gatherings allowed by then. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, the NFL is kind of a league that kind of goes out of its way to just kind of be, uh, just kind of I don't know, not really have a human face, and you know, Goodell's just kind of this this stiff political figure and. And, you know, these, these coaches just have these images of, you know, 20-hour-a-day grinders with no personalities, and just kind of a, a league robbed of humanity in a lot of ways. And I thought it was kind of cool just to kind of, you know, see players celebrating with their families and see coaches with their kids and general managers having a little bit of fun. And, you know, we got to see Bill Belichick's dog making one of the picks, allegedly. <laughs> but, uh, no, but it was, it was just fun. I mean, I, I wish we could see, uh, you know, get a glimpse into, you know, more of these players' homes, celebrating in their own home with their with their families and, instead of kind of this, this made-for-TV production. I just thought it was uh, – I thought it was cool. I, I thought it was the most fun draft I've ever seen. Maybe that's just the, uh, the fact that we haven't had sports in a while talking. So I'm not usually super interested in just – you know, locking into the NFL draft. You know, it's just kind of another sporting event during the spring, and it's, it's fun. And um, but this year was uh, this year was really fun. Yeah, it felt like a good break from just about everything we were going through. And I think that the NFL did a really nice job. ESPN, NFL Network, the NFL—they all did a great job of not just bringing the coverage and bringing the picks, but finding creative ways to do it. You know, going inside the houses of the GMs and. Cliff Kingsbury and Bill Belichick became memes with what they had set up yeah, all the way down to the, the players celebrating with their families. I thought that was interesting. So no, I think the, the production for what it was, was very difficult to pull off. And I think they did a great job of doing it. So absolutely, a big kudos goes to the production uh, at ESPN and NFL Network for all that. Um, if I had a final thought, it would be that baseball season took like an interesting like head head turning yeah. uh, switch this past week with like a potential three division realignment for the season. And here's how it could work out. So I'm hoping that baseball adapts something and they can get back to games, but obviously the safety is, is paramount to make sure all the players and the, the team personnel are kept safe from the coronavirus. And 
I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm hoping there's something. Um, I'm hoping there's some kind of an answer, but, you know, I guess time will tell. So Yeah, absolutely. Seems like it's moving that direction, so that's good. We're all hopeful. I think we're all hopeful to get back to live sports. Briggs, stay safe. You too, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. And thank those of you at home for listening in. If you enjoyed the show, please remember you can find us on any medium where podcasts are found. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on Spotify, and you can find us on ToledoBlade.com and on Blade News Slide. Please subscribe. Please share this episode or previous episodes if you enjoyed them. And that is all we ask. Thank you again for listening. For David Briggs, my name is Corey Christen. We'll talk to you next week right here on Glass City Game Time.